So friends, I know you've been there. You're leading with men. Whatever that looks like for you, you're in meetings or you're a supervisor and you lead men, or maybe you implement the vision of the guy at the top of your food chain at work or at church or whatever that looks like. We all know whatever it is, we as women collaborate with guys, whatever that looks like, it's pretty inevitable that you and I are going to lead with men, right? So as a woman who loves God, what's the deal? How do we do this? My friends, that's exactly what we're talking about today. You're listening to the Leader Lab podcast, a podcast that inspires women to step up and step out in leadership to fulfill their God-given callings. My name is Andy Bruce, and I'm so passionate about helping women develop their character and understand their callings that I went out and got a doctorate in leadership. Now I'm investing in and partnering with women leaders just like you who love Jesus and raise their hand saying, God, if you're looking for someone to use, I'm right here. So let's talk about how. How? How do we step into what that looks like? All right, chicks, here's what you've got to know about today. So we're talking about a really weird subject because we're talking about how do we as women behave around men in the vein of leadership. So what I mean by that is, let's say you're leading men. What do we do so that we love and honor not only God, but the guys around us, the women around us? So I want to tell you a couple things that make me feel a little um, uncomfortable. First of all, you know how in today's modern society, it's like so much about women being empowered and women more leaders at the top, you know, more female leaders and women can do it and men aren't going to hold us back. Well, I mean, that's fine if that's what somebody's take is, but oh, this feels weird. Can you hang with me? That's not where I'm coming from. I'm coming personally. I'm not uh, prescribing this. I'm simply describing where I'm coming from. I'm all about complementarian relationships between males and females because that's what I see in scripture. Now, let me be clear. That is not what I see in society today in America and probably across the globe as women are like, we want equal, 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 equal. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, equal voice and treated correctly and Uh, those kind of things. Of course, you know what I mean? As far as dignity, that's, that's not even a question mark in my mind. Where I'm coming from is scripturally how I view and interpret scripture after lots of study, after lots of contemplation. And might I add, after lots of like, I don't like this. I don't like how this shakes down. My firm place today is saying complementarianism is where I'm at. What that looks like and what that means is I believe scripture sets up so that men in the church and in my marriage are my authority. They are the ones who are going to stand before God and give account for how they led me, how they led the church, how they led my family. That's a man's role to have the say there. Okay, there's all kinds of complications that could come with that as far as, well, what if the guy's abusive in this way or that way, whether it's in the home or in an organization or in the church? I'm not talking about that. We're going to just keep it super streamlined for the sake of this conversation. So that's where I'm coming from is 
men are my authority when it comes to the church and my marriage. That's it. Those are like, it doesn't mean every place. Mm -mm. I'm talking about in the church and in marriage because that's what I see really pronounced in scripture. Second, that means I'm approaching this from a very submissive standpoint. When we're talking about the role of men in the church and in my marriage. So you may be shaking your head and unhappy about that. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, I But I want to make that really clear. And I know it's awkward because that's the very unpopular approach to take. I get that. And I want to put it right out there. The reason being, it's going to, you're, you'll hear it for sure. Undoubtedly, it's going to put a lens of which I'm sharing uh, what we're going to be talking about today. So everybody, take a deep breath. I'm going to do the same because that stuff gets tricky when, gosh, these days there's so many societal issues that are in some ways mandating or dictating how believers should behave. And it's contrary to what the Bible says. That's one of those places, perhaps. So I'm really excited about today. And here's why. Last week, we looked at Phoebe. Nope, not Phoebe from Friends, but that's always the first person that comes to mind. Phoebe from Scripture. I'm not going to get into it, but I would say if you didn't catch last week's episode, oh my goodness, I just had a ton of fun making it because I saw a strong leader of the church, a strong businesswoman, a woman who was considered a colleague to the Apostle Paul, so much so that he's like, Phoebe, you've got to take this letter that I just wrote to the church in Rome. Now, it's really important, Phoebe. I'm entrusting you as a colleague, meaning with trust, not like, uh, is she going to be able to hold her way? Is she going to be burdened with family responsibilities and all those women-y things? I don't catch a whiff of that with what Paul says. Instead, he's like, I entrust this because you're my colleague, because I've seen how God's used you and because you are a legit leader in the church. There were so many things to unpack from that. So if you didn't catch that, I would really encourage you to stop right now, go back to episode 59. It was just the last one. Because what today we're going to do is unpack some really practical, uh, and not just practical for me. These are, um, I wouldn't say tried and true. These are the principles in which I, as a female leader in the church, what I do to lead with men particularly because Phoebe was such a prominent female leader in a man's world. That's why I got all jazzed up because here we are, women leaders in the church and in the world today. Man, did Phoebe get my head like ticking, ticking, ticking in some cool directions. I think I also shared with you guys last week that in a couple of weeks, I will be guest lecturing at Liberty University. Monica Brennan is up there doing just a phenomenal job. She's just a wonderful person, quality, character, uh, longevity, perseverance through and through. She has built the women's ministry and women's leadership programs up there. So for a couple of days, I get to go guest speak. And this, well, last week's content is part of what I'm going to be talking about is Phoebe. And what does she tell us as women and women leaders? So I'm going to piggyback this content here and to our LU students. So, um, 
Again, this is building off what I saw from Phoebe in scripture. Check it out last week. But what we're going to do today is break down 10 principles or 10 tips for leading with men. Because we are female leaders very much in the church. Let's just be honest. It's kind of a man's world because of those things that I mentioned earlier. So how do we do that? How do we lead with men? Is it different? Why should it be different? Or how is it different? Those are really valid questions. And I will say this, there's one particular meeting that I'm in weekly, almost without fail, except for if it's Christmas or if I'm away on vacation, something like that. So it's a standing meeting every week that I have with oh, I don't know, three or four, one, two, three, four leaders from our church. Um, My ministry partner, Melissa Dunn, used to be a part of these meetings also, as well as a couple other females. But over the years, some personal changes have happened or schedule conflicts. Now, I am the only leader, a female leader in that meeting. So I remember when uh, our executive pastor called, this was years ago, and he's like, hey, Andy, I've got a a question. It's kind of out of the blue, but I'm wondering, would you consider being part of this weekly team meeting? And he said, it's interesting because you're actually the first female and another chick too. We were the first females to be invited into this particular meeting. Honestly, at that time, my schedule was jam-packed. My schedule was jam-packed. You know where there's just not a lot of wiggle room? And I remember actually wondering around that time, what needs to get off of my weekly schedule to just give me a bit more breathing room? So for me and my gut, I was like, hey, I'll let you know. But in my gut, I was thinking, it's not going to happen. I can't add one more thing, especially with a strong commitment on an ongoing basis to my schedule. I don't think I'm going to do this. I'm not feeling good about it. My husband was there when our executive pastor called me. He's like, what was that about? So I said, hey, he's wondering if I would be interested, if I would pray through and let him know my decision about joining this team. And my husband was like, oh, absolutely. And I said, really, are you serious? Like I was going to say, not a chance because it's just too busy. And he said a couple of things that rang true. He said, first of all, um, you haven't prayed. I was like, "Ooh, that's true. He said, second, um, you have gifting and a voice and perspective that I think our church needs to hear. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't think about it. I just thought the commitment The commitment just didn't seem like a great time. And then he said this, and this is really pertinent to our conversation. He said, Andy, the third thing is you don't, you're a leader. God's gifted you to be a leader. You lead women, you lead young women, you lead older women. Uh, That's going to probably always be true about you, but you don't have regular opportunities to grow as a leader in a man's meeting you don't lead with men. And I think he said, I think that's a skill set that is worth looking into. And I got to say, out of all the reasons that we were talking about not doing it, this one was the reason that I'm like, oh, that just rings true in my guts. And 
of course I prayed and um, the following week got back to my executive pastor was like, hey, if the offer still stands, I'm in. And it's interesting to me that my primary motivation was I want to learn how to be a female leader who leads well with men. And this is a really safe group of men to figure that out with. So that's my personal journey um, of leading with men. Of course, there's offshoots. Of course, there's things and blips that come up. But that is definitely the context of which I'm going to share these 10 things. Okay, ready or not, here we come. These are in no particular order, but let's walk through 10 ways that I'm learning or principles that I've learned about being a female leader in a man's world. Number one, by the way, this sounds so dumb, but I'm just going to say it. Number one, I know my place. I know my place amongst that team. When it comes to men, and I'm referring specifically to leading with men in the church, when it comes to leading with men in the church and with being a leader in my own home, and my husband it would not ever probably really say, I'm a leader type. He's just not wired like that. But in these two contexts within the church and in my home, I have learned my place. And I can say these days, I know my place. And here's what it is. I'm a leader. I am. It's how God's wired me. It's a spiritual gift God's given me. It's a role that I play. I'm a leader. But I'm not the leader. I'm not here in that meeting in church. I'm not there to establish vision. I am not there to provide direction uh, as an elder or like with a strong voice. I'm not there to provide some direction that would bleed into vision or decisions that are there for the elders to make. Nope. And I remember, so I've been on that team, that church team with some men. I don't know how many, maybe I'm going to say six years. That's probably fair. And I remember for probably the first four years, it's like, because I'm so wired as a leader and I do have vision or aspects of direction or contributions in, in that tier that I definitely wanted to make. Especially when at some times there were some questions, valid, appropriate questions to ask about what's God doing and how does that answer bleed into the vision and direction of the church? Well, of course, I was praying those things alongside just as a leader. And what I did in the first four years particularly is I would drop breadcrumbs. You know what I mean by that? Like strong hints. Uh, statements that maybe I would drop a breadcrumb about maybe vision or direction or what I would do or what I think ought to be done in order to influence my leaders. And in these last two years, I've realized as a female leader who's not on staff, who's not an elder, uh, I'm just invited to the table. I've realized it is not my place because I'm not the leader. When it comes to vision and direction, those are things that our elders will be held accountable for. And guess what? 
I don't envy that in the slightest. Let that be on the guys. Let that be on men. I get to just sort of like sit back when it comes to that day, however that's going to look in heaven. I'm relieved now to not have to be standing in that place of accountability then on that day as part of whatever judgment in heaven and being responsible before God for what he's given us, whatever that's going to look like, let the guys have that. And so therefore, this first one is, I know my place. I'm a leader. Sure, of course. And I don't back down from that whatsoever. But I am not the leader. I am not there to establish vision direction or those kind of things that these guys are going to be held accountable, including how we use our resources, what um, character looks like, finances. Nope, not my cup of tea. That's not what I'm there for. I'm a leader, but I'm not the leader. The second thing on my list is being a female leader in a man's world. I ask questions. So this plays in a lot to what we just talked about when it comes to these ideas of vision and direction and how we're stewarding resources and those sorts of decisions. Well, I mean, it's been six years of being in this meeting. And of course, I've been around conversations, even in the last two years where I wasn't dropping breadcrumbs. I'm certainly around conversations where vision and direction and those sort of top tier things that elders and our pastors uh, really are responsible for. But yet I'm in the room when they're being talked about. And sometimes I might have something to say. And what I've learned is because I'm not the leader, and frankly, because I'm a female, instead of saying, well, here's what I think, I've learned to ask questions. I know that sounds overly simplified, but here's what it is for me personally. It's a way to understand It's a way to um, be, when it's appropriate for me, a part of the conversation without strongly interjecting what would come down to be my opinions. I don't know. I don't want my opinions to, first of all, like, let's just be real, to not be heard because those guys in that room, they know my place too. They've never stated that. They're not like, hey, Andy, just so you know, in this meeting, your place is not to interject when it's on a... Never and never even ever, ever would they. But instead of giving my opinions, I've learned to ask questions. Because as I'm asking questions, maybe it's going to highlight Um, an area where there's maybe a little gap or a hole in the vision or direction and just asking questions because it looks like a hole or a gap to me. So I'm going to ask a question and either one of two things, well, one of three things happens. First, when I ask a question about the vision direction, like the bigger picture, that top level of leadership kind of conversation that I just sometimes happen to be in on because of the nature of this meeting. When I ask a question, it will result in perhaps the exposure of a little weakness that then leads to conversation for them to have. Now, what, or two, them saying, well, here's our answer, or we don't know, what do you think, Andy? 
often when I've asked questions, it's invited a question back to me to then have a voice, to then say, well, yeah, as I've been thinking about that, one thing I've really noticed is there's this gap or it feels like this on my side of the being in the congregation. So this is the beauty and the power of asking questions. I'm not stating my opinion and either it's going to get them talking in a different direction or it gets them asking me a question back, leading them to hear what is my perspective or opinion. Or three, it just for one reason or another, um, uh, what do you call that? Like it just doesn't go anywhere, which is fine. Meaning, oh, do they hear me? Their ears, these guys' ears are big and I mean, humbly, I say God's given me a voice with their ears. They do listen to what I say. So I've learned over the years that when I say something or ask a question in this vein, and it's not um, building momentum into the conversation, okay, fine. Like, that's not a big deal. Maybe sometimes I'll reword it and re-ask it. But guess what? You could tell sometimes where there's an interjection in a conversation where it just doesn't catch. It doesn't have momentum. Perhaps it's not pertinent. Perhaps it's the wrong timing. Perhaps it is it is me interjecting something into a place where it, it's not my business. So I have learned to ask questions. The third thing I would say as a female leader in a man's world is this. I give feedback when asked. This tacks on to what we've been talking about. Um, And I'm talking specifically to in the church, because in my home, Andy always wants my feedback. Or I'm bringing up things because I'm just wired so differently than he is. What I see is urgent things or important things or like patterns in our household. I'll bring him up and he's like, oh, I never even noticed that. So I'm not referring to my marriage on this one. I'm referring to leading with men in a business or team or leadership context. In the church, I get feedback when asked. And what's really great about these guys is not only do they have big ears, but they also have small egos, meaning lots of humility, so that they're like, hey, what did you think with this happened? I have learned, even if I have opinions, even if I want to ask questions, sometimes waiting as a woman, oh my goodness, does this show my submission? And honestly, there aren't many demonstrations of it that are as strong in my experience and in my opinion as this one. Sitting back, listening, not interjecting very often, and instead giving feedback when I have been asked. For me, I don't know, this is such a pleasure. You know, at first when you're walking with Christ, learning to obey and submit to him feels like nails on a chalkboard because you've just, you that muscle is weak. Uh, and then eventually walking with Christ, you're like, man, there is so much blessing. There is so much peace. There's a harvest of righteousness that comes through obeying God, just not even having to be told to, but increasing the desire just naturally to want to obey God. There's such a joy, an earnest, um, deep-seated joy that comes with that. And in my experience, the same is true with leading with men. 
there has, because I think at first it was hard to bite my tongue, to not give all my opinions, to not stick my nose in and recognize where it's appropriate for me to totally interject. And other types of conversations within these types of meetings where it was like, Mm, this is an elderly issue. This is like way up my past my pay grade. Haha, <laughs> I'm volunteer. But as I've learned, it what kind of has felt the same as my submission to God. When it comes to submitting to men, I remember those first few years of like, I didn't want to submit. I perceived my voice as not equal, but in these types of meetings that are behind closed doors, I kind of felt at first that it gave me permission then to say what I wanted. What I've realized is, man, the joy of submitting to the authorities that God has placed over me in my local church, it's cool. I don't mind one bit these days holding back, waiting, at the same time praying, God, if this is something you want me to say, will you just kind of bring that up? Will you show me when to interject? Would they sense my honor for you and total honor for them, even as I bring up something that might be sticky or a perspective that doesn't feel like a whole lot of fun to provide? Giving feedback when asked has been such a joy for me because it is a demonstrable way for me to display what has become more and more and more true. And that is as a female leader, it's a joy to submit to these guys as evidenced at times, at times by holding my tongue, by reserving my questions, by waiting, by waiting to be brought into the conversation. It's for me been really, really cool. Number four, for me, being a female leader in a man's world, I go when there's a conflict, when there's a conflict, I go to the people involved, not the leaders. Now, if the conflict includes, which sometimes it has, one of those guys that sits around those tables, of course, I'm going to go and be like, hey, a couple of weeks ago, you said that that hurt my feelings. And it just feels like the appropriate thing to say that. Oh my gosh, Andy, seriously, I... Uh, You know, when I said that, it was like, "Ah, I shouldn't have even said that. I should have apologized then. Clearing that clutter of relational feedback, absolutely. I go to them. I don't go to somebody else. But the adverse is true too, or the opposite is true, is when there's a conflict, even though I have a seat at the table, I don't overuse my seat to create leverage or insight into the fact that there is a conflict in order to be given a little bit of, I don't know, what would I want on the other side of that? I don't use my place at the table to leverage um, even talking about the conflict or coming out as the good guy because I have these guys' ears. No way. When there's a conflict, and there has been, I go to the people involved. And if it doesn't need to be to brought to these guys' attention, not even a little bit. Like, that feels weird. It almost feels like running to mommy and daddy to be like, he did that. No way. Because maturity as a leader doesn't do that. It goes to exactly the people involved. Even though there have been times where I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should bring that up to them. Nope. No. What? And then I'm asking myself, Andy, why on earth would you even allude to that? That's immature. And there's some... Uh, egotistical grabbiness behind that. 
that you want to just explain to them what happened and how you feel and make yourself out to be the good guy? Nope. That is why for me, I when there's conflict, unless it involves these guys, I will not open my mouth. Not even a little bit. Not even hint to it. Nope. Number five. Oh, this one is so this. Oh, gosh, I've come so far. Thank you, God. With number five, I manage my emotions. Okay, so I'm a female. I've got probably more emotions than, okay, certainly than those guys do. No questions asked there. For me, I'm not a weepy person, not even a little bit, except for when it comes to prayer or talking about spiritual things. Well, guess what happens in this particular meeting? We pray for probably 20 minutes to begin our meeting every single time. And we're talking about spiritual things. So for me, my emotions when it comes to prayer and talking about spiritual things can be more than what is needed and appropriate. And getting choked up, I got to say for these guys, they're a little bit robotic, ha ha ha, a little bit like, um, like my husband, just not a lot of emotions. And for me, when as a female, I'm not saying that I hide my emotions. Uh Uh-uh. I simply manage them. I keep them in check these days. Instead of being like, yeah, God, we just pray for this to happen. Like where clearly there was a lot of emotion as I'm just praying for the church. And again, I'm not saying that that has no seat at that table. I just keep a pulse on my emotions and wonder, is this needed right now? God, I give that to you. And um, that, I think, has resulted in respect from these guys to me and the ability to listen a little bit more because I think, at least for these guys, and this is true for my husband, emotions can be something that makes them not listen carefully. Emotions can make them want to step back from me instead of hear and understand. Emotions could be a little off-putting. So for me, man, oh man, am I learning as a female leader to manage, not hide, manage my emotions with guys. Number six, I keep my role quiet. I'm referring to that specific meeting. And I got to say, my friends most, I mean, my closest circle of friends, they know that I'm at this particular meeting, especially some of them, or at least one of them, it's with her husband. So she definitely knows that I'm part of that team. But when it comes to acquaintances, or even like that second circle and third circle of friendships, they don't know that I'm on that team. Just like last week, when we were talking about Phoebe, in Romans 16, verse one and two, Paul said, I commend you my sister, Phoebe. Paul said, I commend to you, my sister, Phoebe. And what I've learned is let these guys in my meeting commend me, not me commending myself. That's not cute when you're like, oh, I'm, I'm part of this thing. I'm part of this thing. I'm part of this thing. No way. Let other people commend you. Let other people brag on you or expose the things where God uses you. You don't need to do that. And this is what I've learned a lot. Number seven, super practical. I don't personal text these guys. I group text. 
I don't know why. Well, I guess I really do know why. I know that if, you know how sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want everybody there to know, or I'm going to use a way of saying this, that if other people were on the line or on the group text, I wouldn't say it that way. This really covers all of us. It's not about just me. It's about all of us. So when it comes down to it, um, when it's something regarding the content or regarding any of the things that we talk about during that particular meeting, I don't personal text, I group text. Now, I will say the exceptions to this are when it is something of um, not a complaint, but a, a negative that has to do with that guy or that guy's department. It's like, hey, that felt really weird this morning on a Sunday morning, um, or I got this weird feedback uh, that felt like it didn't go great. Sometimes I'll put that on the group text, but when I know it primarily falls under one person, I might do that. But listen, over and above, even with that, I often put his wife on it. I just protect myself. I protect them. It's not about me. I'm not going to get personal. Therefore, I'm going to keep things mostly about 80% of the time in a group text. Number eight, super practical. Super practical, but I tell you, as a female, I think this one goes a long, long, long way. In this meeting, and when I know there's going to be men around, I wear lots of clothing. It comes up to my collarbone. It um, doesn't show like armpit or side boob. Uh, uh-uh. It doesn't show my stomach, not even a little bit. It's not short on my legs. It's not a skirt. No, 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 no. I love these guys so much. I don't want to wear clothing that is ever going to be anything other than God honoring, not just for me, but even in a dynamic with males. So for me, this, I don't know, how can I love these guys? by wearing a lot of clothing, clothing that's not low at the top and high at the leg, clothing that's not tight. No way. I kind of see these guys and this is the next one for me. I seriously behave like a sister. You know, when it comes to your dad or your brothers, you're not going to wear clothes that is attempting in any way to get their attention on your body. Nope. Like grosses me out to even think that way, right? I bet and I hope that you're like, oh, gross. Like I, it's just weird to even think of wearing something slightly revealing in front of your brother and your dad. Not going to happen. Well, why would it be any different when it comes to these guys? So I behave like a sister when it comes to my clothing. I wear lots of it. And when it comes to behaving like a sister, Because there is a lot of camaraderie amongst this team between me, the only female, and them, a small handful of males, there is a camaraderie. There is a togetherness. There is a strong sense of team. Those those lines are not at all blurry for any of us, not even a little bit. But one way to reinforce this brother-sister relationship is every once in a while... I call them brother. Okay, brother. Hey, brother Jeremy. Hey, brother, you and you. Hey, brother. And punch him on the shoulder, just like I do my big brothers. I'm kind of like the annoying little sister with these guys. It's like clarifying through my words of literally using the word brother with them that this and only this is our relationship. 
And I will even say sometimes in meetings, I know I'm like the annoying little sister you guys just can't get rid of. Ha ha ha. And we chuckle because we know what our relationship is like. It's like we're siblings. But I'm telling you, it never hurts to verbally reinforce this whole sibling relationship thing with the men that I lead with because this provides like this major safeguard. Okay, number 10. For me, when it comes to leading with men, I don't share much. Okay, so there are a couple specific things that I mean by that. I don't share. Number one, I don't share the leadership conversations that we have. Meaning, honestly, like what happens in that room stays inside that room. Now, there's a few exceptions that I have with that. One is with Andy. Um, because for him and I personally, uh, leadership conversations are not off limits. Now, I will say when I'm meeting with a woman and she's sharing some things that she's struggling with, Andy never knows ever about those things. In fact, all the time women go up to him and they're like, oh, your wife probably told you like this is going on. And he's like, nope, she never tells me anything. Well, in this case, when I'm talking about leadership conversations that happen with men, there is no restricting what I share with Andy for a couple reasons. One, this is leadership stuff. It's not personal stuff. And two, because I'm having these conversations with men, you better believe I'm going to be happening having them with my man. The other one is um, sometimes, and actually it's not very frequently, occasionally uh, I will talk leadership stuff, particularly when it's pertinent to Melissa and I and what we're doing or like, oh, here's what we're doing in Blue Ridge or, oh, um, it was funny. They were talking about this. We've been talking about this. These are not private things. Often she's talking with one of the elders or two of the elders about them anyway. So, but in general, and and I think they know that. And I'll even say, um, sometimes I'll say, yeah, uh, yeah, I was talking with Melissa about what we were talking about. So they, this is not a big shock, but essentially I don't share leadership conversations except for with Andy if if it comes up, usually it doesn't, like rarely does it. And occasionally with Melissa. I also don't share affiliated information. So what I mean by this is, you know, when you're in a meeting or you're in a place hanging out with someone and you're friends with their spouse. So it's really easy to be like, oh, hey, she told me this or we did that. Or remember, you might have heard this. You know that triangulation, not going to happen here, particularly when one of these guys that is in this regular meeting that I'm a part of, I'm extremely good friends with his wife. I'm in Bible study with another guy's wife. I see the other guy's wife regularly. That's normal. But what I'm referring to is if one of the wives tell me something I'm not going to triangulate that in this meeting whatsoever. I just am not going to share leadership conversations except for with Andy and maybe occasionally with Melissa. Number two, affiliated information, in other words, triangulation, not going to happen. Because what I'm doing behind that is demonstrating trustworthiness is... um. I am not going to triangulate. 
And I hope those guys, and I think it's true, they don't wonder if I talk about what we talk about. Not that it's private, it's not. But there is something of being able to build trust through the relationship and that commodity of just being able to be unfiltered, unguarded, because there's a strong trust amongst the team. And that's why I don't share this stuff. Finally, the last thing I don't share is with those guys in the meeting, I don't share personal struggles. Like if I'm going through something and God's doing something in my heart or I'm struggling with a certain area, nope. I share, I share challenges that I'm facing. I do not share personal struggles. Meaning if it's weird, if it's too personal or too in real time, it's not needed. I have my girls and my guy that I share those things. We are not sharing personal struggles. It's not appropriate. And um, in the past years ago, I think I did that. I actually, I did do that. And I've got to say, looking back, there's an immaturity to that. This is me speaking and my reflection of my own experiences. There was sort of a need to be heard, to be understood. For me, I really struggled for many years with authenticity, not being authentic, but actually finding boundaries to contain my authentic self. So that was one of them where it was like, oh, if I'm going to talk to women about this stuff, why not talk to men? And my answer now is because it's inappropriate. And now it's just not needed. So I don't share personal struggles, things that my heart is wrestling through at all things. If Andy and I are working through something, nope, I share challenges. These are external things and their leadership issues typically or interpersonal. I, I don't even know that I share that. And if I do, it's like, oh, so I'm going through something with someone. I wonder what would happen if kind of a thing. It's not personal. Nope. Not sharing personal stuff with men. Absolutely off the table. For women particularly, it's very um, innate for us to find and develop connection. It's what we do. It's in general how women are wired. And when women go seeking that type of connection with men, even inadvertently, even in just this, this very innocent posture of being like, well, I just, you know, I was just sharing. For me, not going to happen ever, never. Uh, so, yep, those are the 10 things for me that I have learned over the years, some through God's protection, others through being a big idiot. But these are my personal rules of being a female leader in a man's world that I live by. Hope this was helpful. And as always, even if these aren't a one for one for you, I hope it gets your mind thinking of, well, for me, it wouldn't be that way, but I would do this instead. Awesome. For me, that's a win. All right, folks, can't wait to talk next week.